Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Hybrid Geek Podcast, episode number 41 with Anthony Mandeli. Um, he is a fellow University of Delaware alumni, and we got reconnected recently over social media. So I'm really excited to be able to reconnect and uh, catch up with him and share all the cool stuff that he's doing right now as a digital marketer and somebody who's uh, specializing in data and analytics and uh, just kind of geeking out about all that kind of good stuff. So uh, really share some really cool, broad insights uh, just to kind of how the world is going and how to kind of properly use data. Um, reminds me of our previous episode um, on the topic that I'll make sure to link out to in the show notes. Um, also down there, you'll find all of the awesome books that Anthony recommends. So uh, definitely uh, take a peek and add a couple of those to your wish list or library. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate Anthony's time and all that he shared. Uh, he's really doing cool stuff and just appreciate that he uh, yeah, also just really geeks out about Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, good stuff. But uh, yeah, after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 41 with Anthony Mandeli. This episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast is brought to you by Top Hat, the teaching app that makes active learning come to life. Top Hat helps thousands of professors create their perfect course. Our app is easy to use and allows you to engage your class, adopt next generation textbooks, and run tests, all within a secure digital environment. See why faculty in over 700 colleges and universities across North America trust Top Hat to power their classrooms. Visit tophat.com slash geek. That's tophat.com slash geek. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump in here. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you making some time here for the podcast. So um, I feel like you have a very interesting uh, professional journey doing some pretty cool different stuff. So I'm um, excited to learn a little bit more about that and uh, as well as what's kind of uh, capturing your attention, what you're geeking out about. So yeah, if you just want to introduce yourself to everybody real quick and just give kind of the, the quick version of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. My name is Anthony Mandeli. I'm a marketing manager with Snowplow Analytics, which is a data collection platform. Um, and uh, originally, um, I had uh, I had set out to be an English teacher. So I studied uh, English education in school. And as an undergraduate, worked in the admissions office, which introduced me to the world of higher education administration and just that career path in general. And uh, that's where that's where I ended up after graduating in higher education, uh, mm -hmm. doing some marketing and social media work. And um, that really, um, it's not where I am now, but that really, really set the stage for sort of everything that was to come uh, <laughs> afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, because I feel like, yeah, like you, I can tend to... See now, like talking through with people and like, you know, looking through their LinkedIn profiles or something like there's is always that kind of connective tissue that leads to the next thing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what I could kind of tell from kind of from your journey. But yeah, I guess just to kind of go a little bit chronologically, like talk a little bit more like we both went to University of Delaware, uh, you know, always holds a special place in my heart. But sort of like with your experience there, um, we crossed path in like some like leadership classes and stuff. I know you're really involved as well. Um you know, like, what do you feel like your college experience gave you personally and or professionally that still kind of resonates with you today? Sure. Uh, well, I, I studied English and philosophy and leadership at, at UD. And um, it was uh, it was it, it didn't start out that way. I started out studying, as I said, English education. And um, uh, it really what I really, really value about having spent uh, about my time at UD was the fact that 
it really they give you so many opportunities to explore different things that I realized I came into my program um, with a pretty clearly defined picture of what I thought my life after graduation was going to look like. Mm -hmm. But just in experiencing so much, uh, so many different programs, so many different classes and opportunities, uh, it really made me uh, stop and think about that. And uh, realizing that I didn't want to be in the classroom um, was really the a really big moment for me because I was sort of going from that. Well, I'm studying. I think. I think. Um, let me say this. I, I think a lot of people feel very pressured, especially when they're starting college or even when they're in high school, to know exactly what they want to study and know exactly what kind of job they want to get with that degree. Um, it's that's a tremendous amount of pressure that uh, students can feel and. When I told my parents that I was dropping the education part of my major and I was going to pick up some minors, um, their first thought was, what are you going to do with that? Or their, for that, that was their response, like, mm -hmm. what, what, job, what job are you going to get with that? And in the beginning, I, I didn't really know, uh, but it was the fact that I worked on campus that made me realize, well, the skills that I'm learning in this English program, the skills that I'm learning in my other classes... I, you don't need to like I can take these skills anywhere. I can work in the admissions office, which was what I ended up doing and something I was really passionate about. But once you kind of realize that what you're you're not learning uh, you're you're learning skills that aren't really always one to one applicable to what you're gonna be doing in a job in a career, you realize that what I can I can do this for I can do this for a pharmaceutical company, I can do this for a rock band, I can do this for a nonprofit, whatever this might be. Um, and that was that was what really um, UD like I, I'm so thankful for what I was able to do there because I was able to you know, put my hands into a bunch of different projects and kind of say you know I, I don't need to I don't need to box myself into one thing. I like doing a lot of stuff and that's totally possible. Yeah, and that's like yeah, it's like this very like kind of broad, overarching um, kind of point of view that yeah, it sounds like you got when you were at University of Delaware, and it's like yeah, like you said, like sometimes there's a lot of you know like that pressure put on students coming into an institution to have that you know plan set and you know exactly what you know career you're leading to, and I think that's sometimes a lot of the external pressures that we put on higher ed as well to be this sort of like career pipeline or factory mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing, but it's like what college has always been is just this place to sort of broaden your mind and open your horizons and um, those sort of things. And that's, you know, it tends to be what's very valuable in sort of today's world as well is just like critical thinking and like comfortable with like ambiguity or just mm -hmm. sort of like an appreciation of, you know, kind of the complexities that make modern life a reality. So um, yeah, it's like, it sounds like, yeah, you got some of the, those skills and everything and it's kind of um, yeah, I think especially, yeah, like it, well, I guess maybe if you want to focus on a little bit, because I'm, I'm just curious, because you, you know, sort of had mm -hmm. that philosophy about, like, I don't know if you maybe got it afterwards from working in admissions or not, but, um, like, what was that like specifically? Because I, I haven't really talked with too many people that work really, like, closely in that area. Was that something that you kind of developed later on? Uh, or, like, do you kind of credit a little bit of, like, your experience at University of Delaware for sort of, like, you know, forming your point of view in terms of just, like, like you know, like how students kind of come into, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, university? Uh, I, I think a lot of it, um, it, it started when I was, when I was an undergraduate at the University of Delaware. Um, it was the leadership program that really introduced me 
it got me got me thinking this way. Um, so I minored in leadership studies, focusing on leadership by design, um, with Professor Anthony Middlebrooks, and we did a lot of work that looked at the intersection between design thinking, education, and leadership, and how they all work to reinforce each other in the right environment. And um, working uh, working with Professor Middlebrooks, uh, I was very fortunate to take several of his classes and to do an independent study with him. And working with him, I realized that the work that work was just so fascinating and so interesting. And I, I had no idea that this is the kind of stuff that I could be doing with a leadership program. And I think part of that came from the fact that it, you know, departments tend to be very, very siloed. Um, and now, you know, we're starting to see a big emergence of like cross-departmental, cross-discipline projects and classes and much more uh, collaboration on uh, across departments and programs on mm -hmm. college campuses. Um, but it wasn't really like that. And that's what was so great about the work I was doing in the leadership program, because we had projects that were, uh, you know, cross disciplinary with like uh, the art program, landscape architecture, a lot of really, really cool, interesting stuff. And, um, you know, it, that was when I realized that it, that helped me realize, you know, what I was studying, I wasn't studying, um, like, I wasn't trying to be a doctor. I wasn't trying to be a lawyer. But I also didn't know that I wanted to be a digital marketing professional for higher education or a digital marketing professional with a focus on complex technology. Mm -hmm. Like, these weren't these weren't things that I was conscious of. It just made me realize that what I, like, what I was going to be doing after graduation was uh, was a much more it was much more nuanced than just be a doctor or a lawyer. And I think a lot of people tend to have a very reductive view of what their future is because it's really nice to be able to say, I'm going to go to college, then I'm going to go to med school, and then I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm not in any way saying people shouldn't want those things, but it's okay to say, I want to study history and I don't know what I'm going to do with that afterwards, but this is, you know, this is the medium that will allow my studies to most enrich my life. And that's why I want to study history. And that's a perfectly legitimate, reasonable um, approach to why you choose whatever it is you choose to study. And, uh, and it, you know, leaving off that, what are you going to do after you graduate part? There's really like, there's really nothing wrong with that. Because these, these careers that we have, like, and, and the, another common way to say it is the jobs that people are going to have when you graduate don't even exist yet, um, right. which is which is really true. I, 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 the company I work for right now was was founded um, in 2012, so after graduation. So the job I have now literally did not exist when I was an undergraduate. Yeah, well, because I think yeah, a couple of things there that definitely resonate with me. It's like I am literally that history major, <laughs> like because like I <laughs> I thought that I was going to be like a high school history teacher. It's one of the common things you can do with that. Um, and sort of similarly to you, I dropped the education part. I picked up um, a leadership minor. I'm not even sure how I really like stumbled into it, but it was like the mm -hmm. summer before my senior year. The prospect of like student teaching for the entirety of the year, kind of consuming it. I was just like, you know what? I've kind of soured on this. It doesn't feel like really what I want to do anymore after doing some like observations and continuing mm -hmm. to take all of the, the classes and everything. So all that respect for education. I was an RA for two years going into my senior year. I made that decision to kind of mm -hmm. shift and, um, 
yeah, that's when I did a lot of leadership classes. And I mean, my senior year as a whole was like the best year for me. And those classes were my favorite classes. And, you know, I know what my history major gave to me, you know, an appreciation for context, you know, like the story yeah. of the world or even just like within an organization or anything like that, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, so yeah, it's like, you know, you kind of make sense of your own narrative or just, you know, advocating for folks to, yeah, like kind of follow their interests, uh, especially when they're at college. It's an environment that's conducive to that. And um, I think that can enable you, like you said, for jobs that mm -hmm. you didn't even know existed or didn't even exist. Because like for me, like working in this sort of higher ed adjacent space, it's like I didn't know a lot of this stuff existed, but just knowing like you know, people who take this path that I talk to right. a lot, it's just like, just be more open-minded about what you might want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much opportunity out there to take whatever it is that you want, that whatever it is that you want to study or you want to learn and to apply it in new and interesting ways. And more often than not, you know, that's like, that's what people are looking for is to say like, well, you know, I have the, I'm, my background might not be what you're expecting, but I really understand, you know, X or Y about your space. And I think I would take a, a have a really interesting point of view on how to approach this this job or this task, whatever it might be. Um, and you know, the the English program at um, UD was amazing because it you know it taught me the, a, like incredible critical thinking s skills and just uh, a certain type of analysis that I you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be where I am if I did if I never got. There's been tons and tons of awesome articles all the way you know from major publications about. Um, the benefits of hiring people who've studied humanities and social sciences. Mm -hmm. um, there was a great article about someone uh, by someone who said, you know, why why I hire English majors, and you know, he basically talked about the this like the soft skills that you get, and um, you know, even several other like counselors and advisors that I've spoken to with, you know, they say when you study these hard, like hard sciences or engineering, math, physics, um, biology subjects like that. It's your your skills that you're learning are sort of directly applicable to what you do next, whether that's uh, whether that's in a career or in like graduate school. Um, but the skills that you learn when you study humanities and social sciences, they don't manifest themselves in a career until further along the career path. So you're going to spend the first few years of your career uh, typically feeling like what you've learned in your classes is not applicable at all. But then all of a sudden, you know, you you find yourself in a more senior role of uh, having a leadership position because you, you know, because you were an English major and you know how to analyze certain situations in ways that other people can't. Or, you know, you're a marketing manager because you understand the finer points of communicating a brand's value more than other people. Uh -huh. Or, you know, or you're a history major who is suddenly has a much more senior operational role because you understand the broader context of the decisions that you're making, things like that. And then now I'm in this place where suddenly all of these skills that you know I put I, I built up are coming back in a way that's much more direct and much more obvious. Yeah, because I think yeah, like the missing piece like is just like they don't frame them in the you know like because mm -hmm. I. Because <laughs> I was just talking to another podcast guest about this is like, you know, the English major is like the punchline for whatever reason. But I think like, that's probably <laughs> the most like, you know, like you're saying, like critical thing, like, those are all the things that you really need. And like, for me, it's like, yeah, I found what, what history, you know, learning about it has given me. But yeah, it's just like, yeah, I think part of the, the puzzle that's missing is that they don't 
frame what you're learning in that way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because that is leading more towards like, okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. these hard functional skills, you're like, you know, learning how to engineer something by learning how to build a thing that you would build and, you know, like it's very kind of, you know, kind of clear and kind of structured that Mm -hmm. way. But yeah, if it's almost like you, you don't frame it that way, you allow it to be more flexible and sort of just like this tool in your tool belt that could be kind of like multi-purpose where it's just like, yeah, I can apply this to any number of situations versus just the one example that you I don't know, did or what, you know, like, I, I feel like that's right, part of right. it or something, but, um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. That you've kind of, kind of found that part of your narrative and, you know, the skills and things that you've learned, uh, and, you know, you've had like a diversity of work experiences now after graduation that have led you, like you said, this job that literally did not exist when you graduated. <laughs> so, you know, you're at snowplow analytics now you know what what led you there like what do you enjoy most about your your current work and then we'll we'll kind of move on from there um so so i started my career out in in higher education and marketing and um this is i i'm i very much coming from an uh that former education major background i have that respect for education and that was always something that was really important to me so working in higher education in administration really just seemed like a no-brainer because i had an opportunity to do marketing which i I felt that played well with uh, the skills i built as an english major um so i I worked at several colleges and universities in um, new jersey and new york over the the you know four years or so after graduating um you know, moving further and further away from that admissions role and more into a pure marketing role. Um, and then I sort of got, got slapped with the, like, you're young, you understand technology. Can you help us with some of our, like our IT infrastructure? Um, and as a, you know, as a huge, huge nerd, I was like, absolutely like, <laughs> like throw it at me. I'll learn everything there is to know about this. Um, and so I really discovered, um, that, well, I already knew that I was a huge nerd, but I realized that there was an opportunity to take some of these, like this interest in technology that I had outside of work and apply it more directly to work. Um, so on the one hand, I was doing a lot of digital marketing, which um, it really uh, was mostly social media and email. And this was an interesting time to be doing social media because, um, you know, I started doing this a bit in my jobs as an undergraduate on campus, but 2009, 2010, Social media was really bursting onto the scene as a legitimate marketing channel. Um, it, it wasn't like it is like it is now, um, you know, eight to ten years later. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that you know, that was something I worked with someone at the University of Delaware who um, I honestly I owe a lot of my success now and the where I am now to uh, to someone I worked with two people in the office of communication and marketing. Uh, Ryan McGuire, who was uh, sort of my internship supervisor, and uh, the department head, who Meredith Chapman, who uh, unfortunately passed away um, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so shout out to Meredith, who was an incredible mentor as a marketing professional and just as a human being in general. Um, but she, you know, she had the foresight to get the University of Delaware on Twitter and to you know really take ownership of our Foursquare locations on campus. Um, you know, we were one of the first schools on Google Plus with a profile, and you know, the, while the Google Plus profile hasn't really panned out to to much, uh, you know, it was, the more important thing was that she was willing to experiment, and that was really in the spirit of social media. 
Um, and social media like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, those were the big ones at the time. Was really that uh, was really the the overlap in the Venn diagram of like marketing stuff and technology stuff because it was just pure marketing technology, um, and the, and they was really that was really that was really fascinating that was really interesting and uh, the more I spent learning about social media and how the analytics work and um, I've read some great books on this topic it made me realize that you know this I really enjoy this intersection of marketing and technology and. Um, it took me about a year and a half of soul searching to really understand this, but from the moment I started doing social media professionally, I realized I was from that moment on trying to move my career into a point where I could really do, um, have like basically a 50, 50 split between marketing work and tech work. And that's finally where I am now. Very cool. Um, cause yeah, I think especially just for, for higher ed to remain kind of uh, kind of relevant, and uh, I mean, there's just so much kind of competition in the in the marketplace now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like that's uh, when, you know when I hear people talk about that, we you know I know some people that work in that space in higher ed and stuff. It's like still feels like we're not wholly there yet, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, just within your kind of professional journey, you found that uh, sort of sweet spot um, and. Uh, well, I guess you mentioned just kind of generally, you know, that stuff that you kind of geek out about and everything. So I guess you want to explore that a little bit more um, or just kind of the stuff kind of personally that you enjoy, um, you know, like what are you geeking out about currently? Is it stuff that you've discovered more recently mm-hmm. or stuff that you've always been into? Um, but yeah, just kind of share that and then we'll um, dig in a little bit more. Something that I have really started geeking out about in like true full tilt 100% um, <laughs> fashion has uh, been my long-standing love of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. So uh, just a, a quick plug for this, uh, the Tolkien estate has been publishing a lot of work recently. So that if you're into Lord of the Rings, check out some of the supplemental materials that have been published in the past few years. They're all uh, pretty fantastic. Um, but, you know, but outside, but outside of that, my professional interests and my personal interests have always been very, very closely aligned. And I think, um, I would have, I think I would have said that was a coincidence if you had asked me, uh, two years ago, but, um, looking back on it now, I I can see that it was very much by design. Mm Um, in the, um, what, what's, what always interested me about social media is, uh, the fact that we have this, it, it really comes down to data. And um, data is something that I just have learned to be this incredibly powerful um, force in the modern world that has so much potential for good, but as we've seen recently, also has the potential for to do a lot of harm. Um, When I read, I read a great book uh, by a scientist out of Northeastern University, um, Albert Barabashi, and the book is called Bursts. And in it, he talks about uh, an experiment that his lab did with Twitter, where they basically took, um, you know, they took a language library, uh, an English library, and um, did a sentiment analysis on uh, uh, tweets, live tweets around the Super Bowl one year. And uh, what they did is they created a map of the United States, and there were circles to represent all the major cities. And these circles would change color in real time based on how positive or negative the tweets coming out of each city were. 
Um, and it, so you could see in real time when one team scored, you could see exactly across the country who was really happy about it and who was really angry about it. And uh, it was a really cool project. But he, he, in describing that, he said in the book that for the first time in history, with with this new digital media, and we 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 have empirical evidence about human behavior that we've never had before, and this completely changes the way that we look at we look at historical events, we look at uh, human behavior, we look at how society develops, how we look at the econ- international economics, and that was just that was a really big big eye opening moment for me. And again, once we once I started really diving into the the data side of uh, enrollment management and admissions, I was able to see that you know we can look at this data that we have about our students and proactively look to, to notice patterns that yes will help us be more effective in enrolling our students, but will also help us detect and see what factor like what common denominators our most successful students have on campus we could look to identify at a much larger scale what we're doing right as as administrators and where we need work and that seemed to be a really really powerful like concept that at least at the time when i was in higher education wasn't um, it, it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the schools i worked at had a brand new data science program, which was going to be a huge part of our uh, our recruitment in the coming cycle. Um, so I had suggested, why not get some of these data science students or professors or faculty to work on some you know some projects? We get the benefit of the result of the work. They get to do some hands-on experience, and they can talk about you know how great their program is, you know, working with the campus itself. Um, and there was ne- zero interest in that collaboration. <laughs> Um, which was which was mind which was mind blowing to me. And you know, yes, I'm sure there were there were factors that I that I wasn't considering, but the or wasn't even aware of. But the ultimate point was, um, you know, we we had the ability to do something really really cool, and it was just not really. It, I I don't think that uh, that idea would have the same reception today as it did three years ago, mm-hmm. four years ago. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, so I'm really, I'm really, really geeking out about data. Um, I, I love, I love working with computers and technology, and there's a lot of really cool ways to do that. Um, looking at like programming languages like R, Python, um, you know, refreshing myself on SQL and how databases work, and this has been, it's been a really cool way for me to have some directed learning and exploring something that is you know a pretty big topic programming is a is a big topic and uh, without you know without taking any sort of classes or doing any sort of programs um, anything you can do to help direct your learning is going to be really helpful in getting you from uh, you know from each level as you progress and having this you know like I enjoy working with data and I have data from work that I can play around with there's tons of free data samples out there there are amazing organizations that help people get connected with free public data sets. Um, the United States in general uh, has been being more open about their data. A lot of cities and um, like uh, will provide municipal data sets and let people work with it. There's a great organization I'm part of called Data for Democracy, uh, which is a really amazing group of people who uh, work together to look at things like um, crime rates and other urban data sets and you know model it to help these these different communities do different projects so um, 
it's a it's a really really great time to be interested in data because even though like even though there's some you know there's some not some great stuff happening with data these are kind of the the hard knocks that we need along the way because when you think about who like who are the biggest data companies out there when you think of Google you think of Amazon you think of Facebook um, these companies have data on users in a completely unprecedented way we've never had a company like this before and you know we we don't know what the implications are of having access to that much data on a single person and we don't know we don't really know what the what the right limits and regulations are for something like that and we don't even know what the implications of trying to regulate something like uh, something like Google really are so there's a lot of unknowns and you know, we're going to take some bumps along the way, but we're like, if you think about uh, California's recent data privacy legislation, you think about the European Union with the GDPR, which went into effect this past May, um, you know, collectively, we're getting smarter about data. We're understanding the impact it can have on our lives. We're understanding how much of it is out there and we're developing a healthy respect for it. So, um, if you're interested in data, like now is a really, really great time uh, to, you know, to be in this scene. Yeah, because I think it's like, yeah, like people will sort of like play within the sandboxes that you put them in. And I think up until this point, it's been kind of like, like you're saying, I mean, it's like unprecedented territory. It's kind of like, a you know, Wild West frontier here. Um, and uh, yeah, I think some bad apples, some irresponsible people shouldn't have people say like, oh, like we should not collect any data. Data is bad. You know, it's just like, no, like those people used it improperly. So they should be sort of held responsible for that. And mm -hmm. yeah, the outcomes of responsible people using data responsibly, you know, it could be really good stuff. And like, like you're saying, I think some people, yeah, are kind of skittish, but it's like, you know, especially if it was like, oh, a student at the institution using data from the institution, it's like, okay, well, you know, as long as there's not any like personally identifiable information attached to it, it's just anonymous sort of like, oh, this many of like this class does this, mm -hmm. thing, you know, but it's like, yeah, like you said, like three years ago, I'm sure people are even just more unaware. And, maybe, you know, some people now are probably skittish. And it's like, okay, you know, yeah, good. There's a good reason to just be cautious or be sort of, you know, um, kind of considerate in how you're doing things. Um but I think, uh, yeah, just more transparency and like proper sort of regulations just to make sure that we're, um, you know, yeah, just making sure that people are being responsible. Um, it's all good things. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, yeah, I think, you know, if you do these sort of studies and you can just like build programs or things to like just help nudge people towards behaviors, mm -hmm. like it's just seeing, you know, and being able to track, you know, if you make a change, you know, that one variable and see how it affects that, you know, like. In, right. Like in social media, yeah, it's like all these people just sort of like voluntarily, you know, uh, submitting information uh, that you can then, you know, curate and everything. So, um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see just kind of how it continues to evolve in different facets of society because, you know, it's just any uh, number mm -hmm. of different things. But um, when you mentioned, um, you know, a book that you're reading as well, so I guess, um, yeah, I'm just curious, is there anything else like on this topic or just in general, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings or, you know, whatever, any kind of geekdoms, <laughs> fandoms, uh, like anything that you're reading, watching and or listening to um, that you'd want to mention so we can uh, include it in the show notes? Oh, sure. Um, so I recently uh, read a great book by uh, Nate Silver called The Signal and the Noise. 
Um, Nate Silver is uh, pretty big in the world of statistics. He sort of gained his prominence through um, uh, uh, correctly predicting the outcomes of several uh, election uh, primary elections. Uh, which was a it was a it's a really great book just about um, statistics and looking at uh, numbers overall and so um, that was a that was a really a really interesting read and um, another book called Algorithms to Live By um, which was I, I I absolutely love this book to the point where uh, my family and close friends are sick of hearing about it uh, <laughs> where uh, the uh, the authors look at uh, different types of algorithms that are typically you know used in computer science but show how they're actually the um, the some of the fundamental ways that we as humans solve uh, problems in our daily lives from things like um, trying to decide should I listen to new music or listen to an album that I already like um, how do I serve optimally serve pot roast to guests at my party or um, you know when I'm looking for a parking spot do I just you know take this one that I see or do I try and get one that's closer to my building um, so that was a really really fascinating book and um, the the last the last book I have to say I haven't started this one yet but I'm really excited to it's by Michael Lewis, who wrote uh, The Big Short, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, This book is actually, um, he wrote a book specifically where he, it, it's um, the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman has sort of uh, resurfaced as one of the like most preeminent texts on uh, thinking and uh, metacognition that you can possibly that you can possibly find. So, uh, thinking fast and slow. If you haven't already heard of it, is a very widely regarded, high quality book. Like every list of must reads, it's 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 out there. Um, but Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Short, wrote a book called The Undoing Project, which is actually about Kahneman when he was doing that research. Hmm. Um, so it's it's really interesting to have. You're like one of your favorite authors writing about another author that you really respect. Um, so that's uh, that's something that I'm really excited to start as uh, as my next book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, kind of like any of those. Like sometimes, like the story behind the story can be uh, you know as right. good, or sometimes maybe even better because it like adds to the appreciation of uh, you know maybe the kind of the original there, but. Um, cool. We'll, we'll uh, link out to all that stuff. Um, but yeah, we will, uh, we will wrap up the episode here, um, on the optimistic note that I always love to, uh, to end on. So, um, what is something or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life and or the world? Um, so I'm really looking forward to, um, I, I get to travel a lot for work and, um, this September I'll be going to Helsinki in Finland for an event and, uh, I've never been to Finland before, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, I'm, in my spare time, I'm working on, uh, writing a program that has a, a list, a, a database of all of the books that I own and, uh, will randomly generate a new title because I have so many books and I read so much that I never know what to read next. And I decided I don't want to, I don't want that burden anymore. So I wrote a program to pick one of my books at random for me. <laughs> well, um, I guess, yeah. Cause I think sometimes people, yeah, they like have this bookshelf full of books and maybe they haven't like 
red or fully red, all of this. So it's like, yeah, like, you know, or it's like choosing a movie or something. I'm, I'm sure right. that, if like, you know, that program works and you're like, wow, like this has been really helpful to me. It's like, let me try to see if I could like use this for TV shows and movies or like absolutely you know, like that or like figuring out dinner or something. <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like all those struggles. Because I think it's really cool. Like you mentioned that book that kind of, you know, I think for me and I'm sure for maybe a lot of other people, it's like, you know, some of these new developments and technologies or tools or whatever, they can kind of seem like larger than life. And it's like, I don't know, you know, you can't even fathom like what mm-hmm. it means or how, how it would work, but then like really applying it in these very like small day-to-day ways that it like makes people's lives just a little bit easier. Like, like you're saying, like, I feel like I, me and my wife have that kind of like disagreement sometimes is like, do you take that spot that you see right there? Or you try to get the closer one, you know, you loop around right. a bunch of times or whatever. I'm like, I usually just try to take the spot that I see first, but mm. you know, like, yeah, does it make more sense because you walk less or, you know, like how much time you're going to spend looking for a spot or whatever. Um, so it's like, yeah, like, well, like, you know, data right. shows, you know, yada, yada, yada. 37, 37% um, is, is apparently the mathematically optimal number um, it's it's based on a, a, an old math problem called the secretary problem, which is basically if you're trying to hire a secretary uh, and you're doing interviews, how do you know, like, okay, you interviewed someone who's really awesome, but you've only interviewed three people. How do you know the next person isn't going to be even better? Um, and apparently, according to this book, and there's, I'm sure you're going to get a thousand emails from uh, mathematicians and statisticians who are going to correct all of my finer points. But um, basically, you know, when you have, you say like, okay, I'm going to interview 100 candidates. After 37, you take you take the best candidate who is better than those first 37. And whether it's hiring someone, whether it's searching for a house or searching for a parking spot, um, you know, given certain conditions, this is apparently the mathematically optimal way to choose a parking spot or a new house or hire someone hmm. well i guess that, that would yeah like make sense in the because yeah and I, I wonder if somebody were to do a study like that on dating how it would apply because that's the idea like you you see something good but you mm-hmm. like oh maybe there's something better and it's like yeah like parking spots and you know houses <laughs> whatever where like you're dating and it's like well this person's pretty cool but i don't know like maybe there's somebody better but it's like yeah you've got on 37 dates so that person's amazing <laughs> then go for it don't like you know get too in your head about it but because uh, yeah it's like that fine line it's like yes like because you know, yeah i mean definitely like in interviews i interviewed 37 people i feel like i have a pretty good idea of like you know type of people that obviously like you know, applied within like sort of a right. reasonable amount of time and maybe have a diversity of, you know, experiences and skills and stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that uh, I feel like that checks out just sort of intuitively to me that I would not uh, feel like, uh, I don't know, many more than that would be because it's like the time, that, <laughs> like the time that you're spending on anything versus just like, yeah, like going right. with something good that you have um, already. So um, yeah, very interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Um well, good. Well, uh, yeah, really, really interesting conversation. I think, um, yeah, just uh, definitely a lot to chew on and good uh, books to check out. And um, yeah, just really appreciate your time. And uh, of course, yeah, just uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Thanks, Dustin. Uh, thanks for talking to me and letting me just go on about all the things that I like <laughs> and have been thinking about. No, yeah, it's all all good stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, continue some good uh, sort of topics and conversations from from previous episodes. So. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but that's what I like is I like talking to people that have some different uh, different insights and stuff than my uh, day-to-day. So, 
um, yeah, certainly all good stuff and I appreciate you sharing all that you did and, uh, yeah, probably talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Dustin. Look forward to it. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU podcast network, bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.